Darkvale is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know that ticket prices can tend to drop right before the game starts? This is true. GameTime tracks those prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, then it will show you all the best last-minute deals, and those prices can be up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. Head to the App Store or the Play Store and download GameTime, and you too can score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. A wild one in Starkville. The party continues in Starkville. Greetings and welcome to Starkville. I'm Jason Stark. I write about baseball for The Athletic. Just finished writing about the World Series for The Athletic. And once again, joined by my good friend, writer, broadcaster, UConn professor, and distinguished former major leaguer, Doug Glanville. What's happening, Doug? Yes. 2019 baseball. What a year. What a year. Very excited. <laughs> yeah. What a year. What an October. Uh, Doug, uh, it's my first day at home since the end of uh, National Sleep Deprivation Month, which other people know as October and people in baseball know as the postseason. But <laughs> I-, I want you to know, as soon as we finish this show... I'm going to lie on my couch and not move uh, in a coma for like the next 78 hours. <laughs> I, was the, I was the last writer out of the press box after three of the seven World Series games. I tied for last in a fourth game. Uh, I mean, when I, when I left the park after game seven, it was almost six in the morning back east. So uh, I, like, I am zonked, man. I am just zonked. <laughs> I did get to see an incredible finish uh, to a seven-game World Series. So just checking as I like to check. Do you feel sorry for me at all? At all? Not at all. Not at all. At all. Um, no. None. But I, I appreciate, actually, your delirious exhaustion because you've given us all these <laughs> golden nuggets to commemorate what was an absolutely insane World Series. Uh, wow. I'm still trying to figure out what happened. It's just uh, predictions were way <laughs> off, but... Wow, the, the Nationals just seemed like they had some sort of magic carpet ride going. So congratulations exactly to right. them. Yeah. Exactly right. Th- I mean, I keep thinking back to that bad hop in right field in the wild card game. And like, their yeah. season could have been over in three hours. And instead, they yeah. won the World Series. <laughs> it's, it's incredible how one bounce of the ball changes the fate of so many people every October. Uh, it'd be a great book to, to yes. go through those bounces, right? And, um, you know, that was a really great game seven, uh, memorable. And I've been to a bunch of them now. I, I think I counted 10 game sevens of a World Series that I have covered. And so you know what I thought would be fun? This I'm stealing this idea from my friend Joel Sherman at the New York Post. Let's rank the recent game sevens, like in the last maybe 30 years. Something like that. Okay. So um, I would go number one, 2016. Cubs, Indians, uh, the legacies of the two franchises on the line, extra innings, the, 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 the mini rain delay, just the drama and all the lives that were changed by that. I, I got to go 2016 one. Uh, number two, I would say 2001, the Luis Gonzalez game. Still get chills. When I think about Mariano Rivera walking to the mound and then the game was not over, uh, uh, that that just – how did that happen? How did it happen? Yes. <laughs> uh, then number three, I'd go 1991, the Jack Morris game. Still incredible. And then fourth, I'd place this game because it was one game into the seventh inning. It became a whole different game after that, a really – stunning result so that's my that'd be my top four doug feel free to give me your rankings 
Yeah, I mean, you know, because you had so many front row seats to these games, it's it's hard to imagine the difference of actually being in the building, right? I mean, I I was at the 08 World Unreal. Series, but but you know that that is something else. But uh, and the Cubs Indians ranks up there are number one for me. Yes, you know there appears could be some bias, but I also just think about what it's like to be part of a franchise that has seen so much futility when it comes to the empty trophy case. And, you yes. know, you had generations of people connected through both of those organizations in one moment. And then the game was, uh, you know, it was Ali Frazier, you know, counterpunch, punch, counterpunch, punch. Yeah. Uh, you had no idea what was going to happen. It, it was almost like, you know, as my coach used to say, Tom Gamboa, fellas, we didn't lose tonight. We just ran out of innings. And, <laughs> and, and yep. so it, it was almost that. It was like there was only so much gas tank left in baseball. And, and the baseball gods through history just finally just said, okay, this is just going to fall wherever it falls. And when it ends, one of these two teams <laughs> is going to change history. So I know. So that, that game, you know, was something, I mean, I was, I was with my daughter and she stayed up with me and she was at the time, like, you know, I don't know, what was she, she was seven or something. And, um, so I, I related to that on that level. So I, I got to go number one there. Uh, you know, I, Jack Morris, I, I can't get away from that game because I just remember it really well. And when you have one man, one arm pitching, basically telling people, you know, to get off my mound, you know, his own yeah. coach, and <laughs> and just single-handedly in it. And it, what stands out, it's so different than what we're looking at today. Uh, it just makes it even all the more incredible because within two decades, we've gotten so far away from this idea that a starter should ever go past the third time around. So that it almost makes it it's almost like, you know, certain streaks won't be broken just because our priorities have shifted so much. Like Cal Ripken, who's going to ever break that record, right? You know, the, the analytics department wouldn't Never. ever let that happen. Never, right? So so that's in that ballpark. I mean, I you know, I I don't know if I'd mess with the order so much as I throw in the the 97, you know, the the Marlins Indians with Jose Mesa and all that and and just playing with Jose and watch him hit Omar Vizquel every single chance he could because he was mad at him for what he wrote in the book about that world series. <laughs> that was so, Oh my goodness. So, and, yeah. um, and yeah, so, you know, I played with Kurt Schilling Oh one. And I remember him telling us when he gave up that split fingered home run to Sariano, he said, Oh my gosh, I just lost the world series. I just, I, I just lost the world series. I remember he had this moment yeah. of cl clarity and honesty with us. And then all of a sudden, the fates change. So good list right there. I'm probably missing something, but I, I, I'm going to stick with your ordering. But I think it's just such an incredible part of World Series history. Yeah, it is. So, so you you're, you do not you're not putting the Morris game above the Louis Gonzalez game. I mean, I, I'll do that. I would do that. Yeah, I would do that. <laughs> I, yeah. I like they're That's, so close. Those three yeah, games close. are so epic. All of them. They're just I mean Randy Johnson. Time and, uh, yeah. Games. But yeah, I'm right, gonna Randy, I'll go Morris because I have to I have to tip my cap to him. Amazing. Yeah. You know, there's like there's a feeling that you get when you're in the building for one of those games that's hard to explain, but uh twenty sixteen speaks for itself, just a roller coaster ride and so much riding on it. Uh, but two thousand one, I, I just have so many memories of that game that are so Vivid. Randy stomping out of the bullpen on zero days rest. What a moment that was. Like the the place went insane. That's Randy Johnson. He pitched yesterday. <laughs> it was crazy. So game sevens are they're just built in memories, but those are the best of the best. Doug, we got so much to get to. We better get rolling. Uh, <laughs> but let's first of all. For those of you who are new to Starkville, now that we're available on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, tune in everywhere that podcasts are sold. Here's how this works. We divide the podcast up into innings, start every inning with trivia. You can find the first four innings pretty much everywhere, uh, all your favorite podcast platforms. But then if we have some bonus innings available just on the Athletic app and the Athletic website. 
Uh, that includes our fabulous stupid baseball bet, which we just keep updating because we can't help ourselves. <laughs> so if you want to keep listening, uh, you could also get a 40% discount on a subscription to The Athletic just by clicking on the link where you found us in the Apple Podcast Store or Spotify or TuneIn or wherever the heck you found us. Everybody got that? Tremendous. Now let's play our game. Doug, here's your first inning question, man. Uh, let's look at the, the end of the World Series, the MVP of the World Series, Steven Strasburg. The crazy thing is, he's not the first former San Diego State Aztec to win a championship MVP award this year, uh, if we include the other major professional sports. So can you name the other guy from San Diego State who won a postseason championship MVP award this year? (laughs) Oh, wow. Um, Interesting. This year. So yeah, you don't have that many other sports to choose from. You probably know hockey yeah. players from San Diego State, so yeah, that kind of narrows it down, huh? Yeah, hockey players. <laughs> uh, my my goodness, that's a great question. Um, well, where did Tom Brady go to school? I have no idea, actually. Do I know this? Tom Brady was he MVP? You should know this. You <laughs> didn't have I, a great college career, but you should know this. He's Tom Brady. He's the most famous athlete in the world. What are you doing? Yeah. You got to know this. Yeah, but it was like obscure. He came out of obscurity, didn't he? Wasn't he like like you know, Aaron Rodgers? School, the school like, was not obscure. Just his college okay. career oh, was yeah, okay. not noteworthy. Okay, fair um, enough. All right. Well, I'll, I'll, okay. I'll stick to what I know. That's a good question. Uh, all right, NBA. Who won the NBA? Who won the NBA here? So we got that. Um, yeah. You, you want me to well, remind no. you who won? Well, Kawhi Leonard is. Did he go to San Diego? All right, I'll say Kawhi Leonard. <laughs> oh my God, that was painful, painful. <laughs> but that's right. You got that right. All right. I, yeah. Last. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Fair oh, enough. Man, that was rough. You know, King of okay, the North, anyway. John Snow. He was I say. The, right. He was the true King of the North, non-fictionalized division. Of course, he's not there anymore. So he, I guess he renounced his throne, but that's a whole nother story. Um, look, the, the Nationals won the World Series. We mentioned that. Steven Strasburg was the MVP. We mentioned that. I, I have to admit, Doug, I personally would have voted for Anthony Rendon because of the, the two swings in game six and seven that changed everything. But look, Steven Strasburg is an excellent choice. Um, and... Let's start with this. You know how after a team wins, everybody in that sport always jumps to copy them. You know how that works, right? You know. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so how the Nationals win? They just won by going old school. They actually employ scouts. What a concept. They built their team around old-fashioned starting pitching. What? You can do that? They talk all the time about stuff like chemistry. Oh, my God. What are they doing? Oh, they're riding the parade floats is what they're doing. So first question, Doug, are they the wave of the future by actually emulating the lessons of the past? That's a deep question. Yeah. Well, there's – I always see it as like a vulture culture, if that makes sense, right? Like – (laughs) <laughs> they'll pick they'll pick off what they really want from it and throw out what they think they don't want and because every organization still wants to have their signature on it and i do think that is part of the culture we have today it's uh, it's a methodology it's an algorithm they're well re- researched they're well rehearsed they're trained and it's important that it's its signature shows up on their success and the managers, we see a lot of that now flowing through these younger managers with not a lot of experience that are more running a system more than they are their own sort of individual instincts or approaches. So that human element's always been challenged, whether it's robot umps or, or even how scouting is done. So, I, yeah, I think they'll pick some things out of it. I think you said it well a couple of weeks ago. It was, look, if, if a team had four deep starters – 
like Verlander, they would have used four deep starters. They didn't want, you don't want a bullpen if you don't have to. And the Nationals, what was so magical to me is their strategy was above and beyond the best strategy given their team of anybody in the postseason. They understood their bullpen is terrible and it's, and it's really bad if you have to bring in people in the fourth inning. So they said, well, let's look at our starters as relievers. And if they, and they had the personnel to do that. You know, the willpower, the strength of a Scherzer who blew out eventually and came back and Strasburg. So they were able to cover their weakness better than anyone in the postseason. And I think that understanding could be something, you know, sort of philosophically the teams will start paying attention to more. Uh, I, I don't, you know, but yes, if you have great starters, absolutely. That is still a formula for success. It was good to uh, underscore that again through the Nationals. But they also had a heck of an offense that was very disciplined. So that is modern in the on-base percentage world. And they just happened to have the collision of both worlds come together at the perfect time. So kudos to them. Yeah, for sure. Now, we're not going back. I, I hope everybody understands that. We're, you know, we're not going back to the olden days. <laughs> There's no way that's happening. The best teams in baseball were the most data-driven teams other than the Nationals. And the one thing that I think was important is just the reminder of how big, great starting pitching can be and how, it, as you just said, it can cover up the other stuff that you don't do real well. The Nationals were the worst bullpen in the league and they won the World Series. Why was that? They didn't have to use that part of their bullpen. <laughs> and that's where the starters come in. So I hope it's a reminder that it, uh, even though there's no one way to win, building around starting pitching is really a great way to start the formula. Now, Doug, I want to bring up the piece I wrote in The Athletic uh, after Game 7. I, I, you know, there's only been one other team ever that was 12 games under 500 at any point in the season and came back to win the World Series before the Nationals did it. And that team was the 1914 Miracle Braves. So I think we should debate whether it's okay to call what the Nationals did a miracle. Now, here's my thinking. No team ever had a road like this to the parade floats. Uh, mentioned the 12 under 500, but the Nationals were 12 under after 50 games. Nobody had ever been that bad that late into a season and won the World Series. Okay, add in the fact it was one of the biggest World Series upsets ever. A 107-win team losing to a 93-win team. There's only been one World Series in history when there was a bigger differential in the number of wins. Uh, and the only two where we had 14 or more were 1906 White Sox over Cubs. And 1954, the Willie Mays Giants beat the Vic Wirtz Indians. And so we had that. Plus, the Nationals beat a 106-win Dodgers team and a 107-win Astros team. Nobody had ever beaten two teams that won 106 or more in the same postseason. Plus, the Nationals won all four games in Houston. That's crazy. That's never been done either to win all your games on the road. And we're talking about the team that they beat four times, the Astros, won 60 games at home this year. It's the fifth most since we went to the 162-game schedule. And then they went 0-4 in the World Series. That's mind-boggling. And so add in the fact that, they, that the Nationals did all of that? Tell me, Doug, that was not a miracle. I, I'm, I'm speechless at it because I just, my jaw was dropping the whole time. It, it's not that we didn't understand the Nationals were a good team. We, we felt they were underperforming grossly when they were 19 and 31. And I looked at the schedule. I said, okay, they, after the 19 and 31, they beat up on the Marlins at home. And then they went on the road. I think they played the Padres in there and actually started getting this road swagger going. You know, they started playing well. And they're pitching. Remember, they had like four key players hurt at once. You know, they had a lot of stuff going on. But th how they recovered was unbelievable. You're, you're, didn't you have a tweet out about how the Tigers were 12 under and they ended yeah. up losing 114 games? May, <laughs> yes. May 23rd, 
the the Nationals and the Tigers were both 12 under. The Tigers went on to lose 114 games and the Nationals went on to win the World Series. I mean, unreal. It, no, it was it was unreal. And the elimination games, right? They faced five of them or you know, they just they they, they knocked trailed off Josh. In five elimination games. Trailed. Right. Trailed. Yeah. And and what trailed. Them. Uh they they knocked off Josh Hader, who was like the reliever of the year. They knocked off Kershaw. Uh, and knocked, they they beat the Cole Verlander uh, experiment or whatever you want to call that thing. And then Granky in Game Seven. And then and then a Cy Young Award winner in Game Seven. It's just like you'd never. There's no reason you would ever predict that was possible. And I I think as we as time goes on, we're gonna look at this over and over again. Say this is this was actually impossible. This was really impossible. And it's like the Patriots rattling off, you know, going undefeated and then losing to the Giants in the Super Bowl. Except they had more evidence and more games where they just defied logic. So, I mean, it, you know, Dave Martinez. It took him ten years to get a coaching job and all these things that, and he was, you know, it was just it's paying your dues. So it goes time and time again. I just still scratch my head, <laughs> but I know it's just it happened. So let's 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 look at it and, and enjoy it. <laughs> right now, you know, it's the guys I went back and forth with in the Nationals clubhouse about this were Sean Doolittle and and Adam Eaton. And their reservation was, okay, like you make a good case, but look at the players in the room. I get that, and I explain that to them. I understand how much talent you have here. I'm just saying what you did, nobody else has ever done. The road you followed to get here, nobody else has ever gone down that road. So that's the miracle part. I'm going with it, man. The Miracle yeah. Nationals. We are going with it. And then one more quick thing, because this is a guy we're going to get to later in this podcast and then later in this offseason, Steven Strasburg. Steven Strasburg's first postseason was 2012. If you don't remember him and what he did in that postseason, there's a good reason. He didn't pitch. The Nationals shut him down. Maybe word of this reached you. So he never did pitch in the postseason. They didn't win around in that year or any year where they went to the postseason until this year. And then Steven Strasburg in this October was a monster. So I, I heard this line of thinking, well, hey, this proves it. The Nationals were right all along to shut him down and not pitch him in that 2012 postseason. Doug, your thoughts? <laughs> Absolutely absurd. And and I, I respect what you know Rizzo and Washington had to do in their personnel. I respect that. But first of all, I mean, think all right, let me speak as a player who went to the postseason only once in 2003 after I was traded to the Cubs. That does not happen that often. It is magical, and if you have the chance, especially as a pitcher who is inevitably going to get hurt, which, by the way, Strasburg did, uh, that may be all you ever get. You know, so I, so that uh, that's something I have to underscore. And of course, how would you predict this? This would happen. So, so the postseason, as, as easy as it, well, the Nationals didn't make it easy, but as much as they were able to achieve this, doesn't come around very often, if at all, for a lot of great players. That's exactly right, and. I, I, you know, I'm happy for him. I'm happy for them. And I do think it's important to to be careful in how you use a pitcher in his first year back from Tommy John surgery. But, um, I mean, just the premise was we're doing this to keep him healthy. He's been on the injured list eight times since they shut him down. So how did that work? And uh, here's the other thing. Take a look at this. We just... Got, we just touched on this. When somebody comes up with a great idea in baseball, what do the other 29 teams do? They rush to copy it. Who has copied that? I don't see anybody. So that to me tells me there are other ways to do this besides the way the, the Nationals did it. But I like everybody involved, so I'm happy that it worked out the way it did. Doug, let's do the second inning question. I could recap Garrett Cole's stats from his amazing year. Let's just focus on this one. 326 strikeouts. Uh, so he's now number one in Astros history, most strikeouts in the season. But they have had two other pitchers along the way who struck out 300 or more in a season. 
Can you name them? This is before this year because obviously Justin Verlander did it this year. Well, I mean, Nolan Ryan, I assume, <laughs> has got to be in there. Okay, that's uh, – Nolan Ryan did strike out 300, but not for that team. Oh, so yeah, yeah. Angels incorrect. 383. All right, so that's wrong. I'm already wrong. So Astros, <laughs> well, who are their great strikeout pitchers? Mike Scott, J.R. Richard. Um, uh, okay, you got it. All right, that's it. Right. <laughs> I'm not going to keep you um, – <laughs> I'm not going to make you hang on this anymore. You, J.R. Richard struck out 313 back in 1979. Uh, I believe Nolan Ryan was on that staff, right? And then Mike Scott struck out 306 in 19. 19- 86. So there you have it. Um, Doug, I've been thinking a lot about Garrett Cole since game seven. Um, If I had been AJ Hinch managing that game, there are only two pitchers I would have wanted to pitch that day. Zach Greinke, who started, and Garrett Cole, who would have come in after him. Uh, As you know, that's not how it worked out. Uh, Grinky gets taken out, one out into the eighth inning, had a one-hitter going, gives up the home run, then uh, get, get to uh, Rendon, walks Soto, out he comes, and then Garrett Cole never did come in behind him. So let, let's just talk about that. Maybe uh, you know the moves that A.J. Hinch made, uh, what he could have done, what he should have done. First question. Was the hook too quick on Zach Greinke, and was Will Harris the right choice? Uh, I would go yes and yes on those, just so you know. Uh, yes and yes. I agree. I mean, Greinke was amazing. He really was amazing. And yes, he he did give up the home run, the walk, although the pitch before, I think it was a 2-1 count, was a strike. I mean, clearly a strike. And then he tried to throw the curveball and walked, you know, it wasn't a sign of unraveling. It was just like, okay, he got a bad call. He missed the spot on one pitch. That's how I look at it. And uh, he did shake off a couple of pitches before the home run to Rendon. So that was kind of interesting, but there was no alarm. And plus, how many pitches did he have at that point? 80? Yeah, he was at 80, uh, 80 pitches. Right. So, you know, this this was that collision. We just talked about scouting and all the, the analytics kind of got in front of it saying, you know, and he said, I didn't want to. I wanted to be a, a batter earlier than a batter too late. That's what Hinch said. So, uh, but the, here's the other thing: Harris is amazing. All right, and going back to back, I mean, that was a little bit questionable, but he just has been so dominant. And the pitch he made to Kendrick. Let, let's just back up for a second. That pitch he made to Kendrick was virtually unhittable. All right, so you have to tip your cap to Howie Kendrick here. It was a cutter, 91 miles an hour, down and away located perfectly in the strike zone. I mean, it wasn't like he hung it or made a bad pitch. So I don't know who hits that ball out except Harry Kendrick. And by the way, the only place you can possibly hit the ball out is off the foul pole. That's a, that's, <laughs> a mar- that's literally the margin of error he had on that swing. It was a, it was like, it was actually more miraculous than the Nationals winning the World Series. It, it was that unbelievable of a swing. So I, I think you got to frame that, that he didn't make a bad pitch. He, he really didn't. He, bit, he made the pitch he was supposed to make. And that tells me even more how magical and special it was for the Nationals. Right. I mean, so many things about that. Uh, Howie Kendrick had put 50 pitches in play this year that were about in that spot, you know, down and away. Five for 50 on those swings of the bat, no extra base hits. And then he hit that home run. So, look, the Astros are operating off that data. They knew that. They knew that that was a pitch and a spot that he did not handle, and yet he did. And the the great decision to pull Greinke, I, I understand that the, the thinking, especially with him at this stage of his career, is not to, you know, to be proactive and not reactive. I understand that. But talking to Kevin Long, the hitting coach of the Nationals afterwards, he said when he saw Cole throwing in the bullpen, uh, it wasn't that inning, I think it was the fifth or sixth, uh, he said his reaction was, great, bring him in. And he said, no disrespect to Garrett Cole, but that's how freaking good Zach Greinke was in that game. They, They were thrilled to see him go. Um, but now let's let's look at the eighth inning. All right, the eighth inning starts. Astros down three to two. Still no call. 
And AJ said he was only going to pitch him if he had the lead, possibly if the game was tied, maybe in the ninth. But what he, you know, what he wanted to do basically was close out the ninth inning the way the Red Sox did with Chris Sale last year. But here's my question: Should Garrett Cole have been in there in that game in the eighth, even down a run? I say yes, absolutely. What do you say, Doug? I mean, I, I heard Hinch talk about it. I, I I don't know if I had enough reason to completely dispute the idea that he was looking for the lead. They, you know, they have this monumental offense. They think they can get back at least to tie, and and you want to be sure that your back end is is like at its best. You know, um, so I I understood that. You know, it just. It, it, you know, it's it goes against a little bit of what we've been talking about. Like, you got to win this game in front of you. Well, you also have to win the batter and win the moment and also pay attention to who really is the best bet. Like, Granky was so unbelievably good. Fine, Rendon got him. Rendon is just that good. But, man, nobody was sniffing him at all, even after 80 pitches. I mean, he was only going to beat himself. That was it. And that didn't look like it was going to happen. So fine, two to one. I, I just don't know they score. I mean, two pitches later after Grinky came out, they were down three to two. I mean, it just it was like that. It was like, boom, thank you. And believe me, as a hitter, whoo, man, you could tell when someone's dominating and you just like, please find, you know, get this guy out unless he like falls down the stairs coming in between innings. You know, I, I faced Kevin Brown <laughs> one time. I faced Kevin Brown one time when he was at the Padres. And the first at bat of the game, I grounded out to shortstop and I walked into the dugout. It says, I said, fellas, we ain't got a shot today at all. You know, like you have, like we have no yeah. chance. And he threw like, a, I think we got one run off him or something, nine innings. So, I, I, you know, look, you have confidence, you're major leaguers, but Granky was just electric. And I didn't think anybody had better stuff. I don't care who you bring in. So, you know, and, you know, the analytics blew up in their face. It did. It just blew up in their face. And that's that's like a win, quote unquote, check in the, uh, you know, feel your gut kind of column. But uh, I understand what they were thinking. It just, you know, magic happened. And that's the beauty of the minority report. When you low percentage plays are what changed the world. That's exactly the point. And if you keep playing and hedging towards the high percentage plays, you just win what's expected as opposed to do something what the Nationals were able to do. Yeah, and I, I don't mean any of this to be a, uh, a sign of disrespect for A.J. Hinch. I, I honestly think if I, had a, if I had to hire one manager for my franchise right now, I would hire him. I think he's, he's great at his job. He's great at every part of his job. Um, but managers make decisions then players do stuff after those decisions, and then we we turn it into this whole big novel. Um, this is a novel that ended a little tragically for the Houston Astros. Uh, yeah. Let's not spend a lot of time on this, Doug, but I, I just want to talk about the Astros' place in history because I wrote about this after Game 5 when they were one away. Uh, hey, if they win the World Series... They're in the argument for one of the greatest teams ever based on this season alone and what they've done over the last three. Um, you know, mentioned this in my game seven column. Um, their OPS plus as a team, 119. So 19% <laughs> above league average as a team. And their ERA plus as a team was 127, 27% better than league average. The only team in the last hundred years that was at 119 or better in each of those categories was the freaking 1927 Yankees. That's a powerhouse team, right? Then the then the three years, just a couple little tidbits. 2017, the Astros win 101 games. Last year, 103 games. This year, 107 games. How many other teams in history have won 100 and then won more the next year and then more the year after that? None. They're the only one. And then plus 739 run differential the last three years. That's the biggest by any team in the last 75 years. The 42 to 44 Cardinals were the last. And in the last 100 years, it's only them, those Cardinals, and the Yankees of the 30s. Like, that's an incredible thing to even say. 
Um, but they didn't win the World Series. And if you don't win the World Series, how should we look at you? I, I, I guess, to me, they, they go down in that little place like the great Braves teams that only won once, like the, the A's of 1988, 89, 90, clearly the dominant team in the sport, only won once. Uh, the Orioles, 1969, 70, 71. Uh, even the Yankees, 2002, 2003, 2004, won 100 games every one of the years, never won any World Series in that point. So what do you think, Doug? Do you think we should still think of the Astros as one of the great teams in modern times at least? I mean, you have to from, yeah, you have to. They they did win one, and that's not easy. You saw the Braves run in the 90s. Um, but, yes, it just points to how epic this victory was for the Nationals. And, by the way, they were number one in defensive efficiency, too. <laughs> so they, they played and defense. And they just were amazing. Uh, so I make it akin to Daryl Hall and John Oates not winning a Grammy <laughs> Award for three years. Private Eyes, Voices, and H2O, fantastic albums, got snubbed. So, yeah, I just, you know, they, you know, they, but no, they, these guys, that's why it's so shocking. The fact that they lost four at home, I, I just, it is, it's, it's a marvel. And that's what makes baseball baseball. But that team was absolutely loaded and they delivered on the field on top of that. Yeah. Private Eyes are watching. They are. <laughs> Alrighty, Doug, here's your third inning question. Rule 509, Section A, uh, parentheses, little a, Article 11. <laughs> that, that was fun, it was funny just to say that. 509, Section A, parentheses A, Article 11, is in reference to what rule? Oh, yes. Uh, the bane of my existence, the running lane. <laughs> this is the running lane rule. Yeah, yeah. and uh, the the running lane. Since the moment we began this podcast, I knew there'd be a time when we would get to this lane because people don't know this. I know this. Do you know what Doug hates more than anything in baseball? It's that lane, ladies and gentlemen. So, Doug, I, I thought of you, man, during game six of the World Series because – that running lane reared its ugly lane yet again. Uh, seventh inning. Yep. Seventh inning. Trey Turner thunks this little swinging bunt, does his great Usain Bolt thing, firing down the line. Throw goes into right. Uh, looks like it's second and third. But wait. He's been called out for runner's interference. Oh. And then at that point, the running lane rule would then swallow the World Series for the next 10 minutes. And the only good news that came out of that is for everyone listening to this podcast, because the runner's lane rule is now going to swallow this show uh, in its entirety, because I'm just going to get out of the way and I'm going to let Doug rant about this rule. Doug, (laughs) would you say that the running lane is a brilliant and intelligent rule or maybe something else? (laughs) <laughs> absolutely not oh it's not. absurd absurd oh. not i'm just saying not not oh, deep, deep breath deep breath well i'll start by prefacing that the umpires made the right call following the letter of the rule so i'll start there uh it happened to me i bunted on what i think was an astroturf field with aaron boone playing third but it was a little fuzzy but i got uh, i got thrown out at first because i interfered with the first baseman and Joe West was umpiring, and, and he called me out. And he actually did almost explain it a little bit, realizing I actually was somewhat arguing. And I learned more about that rule because I thought you had to interfere with the throw, but it actually involves the first baseman. So that was an education for me. So since then, I've watched this, and I've been getting more and more upset about it over time. But here, here's the gist of it. I wrote this column for The Athletic about it, and that allowed me to get this catharsis uh, going. But this is what you're required to do. When you hit the ball, you're, you're obligated to run in 45 feet down the line. This three-foot lane starts in foul territory, and it goes all the way to first base in foul territory. So you're really supposed to be in that lane in the event that there is any collision or any uh, sort of overlap between the runner and the first baseman. That's where you need to come from. Now, most times it doesn't happen. The throws are wherever, and it's, it's fine. But there's always that situation, especially with fast runners that are bang, bang, and this was my life. 
that you're going to arrive right around when the ball gets there. They have the right and the judgment to say that you've interfered, and they usually use the lane as the basis. It's like, okay, you weren't in the lane or you're not, and Turner ran right up the line inside in fair territory, and so they called him out. They called interference. Here's the issue, and Schwarber, Kyle Schwarber tweeted this perfectly. The running lane is in foul territory. First base is in fair territory. So you already have a problem because you're running at full speed, sometimes 20 miles an hour. And you're supposed to, the last step is supposed to, that's the only step you're allowed is to step fair back onto the base. So I see a lot of broken ankles and broken, if you're really trying to follow this. So that's completely absurd. Now you could add another base, maybe in, you know, softball rules or whatever, if you really want the runner to run in foul territory. But then again, why would I do that? I just hit the ball. You know, the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. So why do you have a rule that doesn't account for the, the runner's right, the batter's right to try to run to first base efficiently? Why does he have to bow completely out of play, basically, to allow all this to happen? It's, it's an awful lot of preference given to the fielders. And here's the other thing. You could govern it better to take into account that these are major league defenders. They should be able to make better throws. I'm not saying that you have to legislate good throws, but the fact is, if you're at third base and you throw across the diamond and it tails into the runner, isn't that on you a little bit? Like, make a better throw. You have the whole right side field of first base. I mean, you see it all the time with catchers on a drop third strike. They drop the ball. What do they do? They inch over to create an angle so they don't hit the runner. That's what, why can't we ask that? 363 double play. First baseman steps inside, creates the angle. So, why can't we ask all fielders to have this expectation that you have to make a better throw? Uh, after all, the runner should have a right. So the best example, I think, in an analogy for all you football fans out there is pass interference. Pass interference is not just defense only. There is a such thing as offensive interference. And what they're saying is both defender and, and offensive receiver has a right to the ball. They have some right. It may not be exactly equal, but they have a right to the ball. And in this particular case, we don't have the equivalent of offensive interference. It's all based on defense. It's all based on the runner can interfere. And, and so it's, a, it's not giving any right of lane to the runner. You have no real place on the field. And that's incongruent with everything else on the field. Running lane from second to third, first to third, coming home, lanes. It, it doesn't exist except for something in foul territory that takes you completely away from the target you're trying to get to as a runner. So, you know, in, in conclusion, the, to me, the issue is you could change the judgment of the rule. That could be one option. Or you could just sort of allow, you could put the second base in if you're really wed to getting the runner out of the way. Or you could try to figure out something where you create your own lane. Uh, there, there's ways. But right now, it's finally come to light that the entire burden is on the runner who's trying to get a hit, by the way. On, on a ground ball, <laughs> and you have major league fielders that should should be able to be more accurate and make adjustments to the fact that there's someone running down the line. I think that's expected in every other scenario on the field. Why not here? Why don't you just say it, Doug? This is the stupidest rule in sports. You want to say that? Or you want me I to say, say it that. for you? You can it's say it for me. It's the stupidest rule. Like you can't have a guy trying to zigzag up and down the line and 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 get to that base. There's a base out there. He needs to get there as fast as he can get to it. Uh, uh, look at that Trey Turner play. How much spare time did he have to zigzag up and down the line and still beat that throw out? He had to get there as fast as he could get there. The whole thing was so screwed up, and then it just caused so much confusion. You know, Joe Torrey comes into the uh, interview room afterwards and reads your favorite rule. And then when he's done reading it, he says, oh, but that isn't what they called. <laughs> the first baseman's glove came off. And so blah, blah, blah. Then there we had a four and a half minute replay review. There wasn't even a replay review because it wasn't a reviewable play. Uh, it turned out they were on the headphones because the Nationals protested the game. But what were they protesting? Uh, I asked Dave Martinez afterwards, what exactly were you protesting? And he said, Nothing really. That's an exact <laughs> quote. Like, what a what a mess. Uh, we're just so lucky that the baseball gods took over. Anthony Rendon hits the home run. The Nationals win the game. Wow, what a mess that would have been. Just just suppose, Doug. The uh, Nationals protest the game. Uh, the Astros come back and win. They celebrate. They spray champagne. We write all the great stuff about how the Astros have 
gotten to the top That's of the right. mountain, and then the, the next day, Major League Baseball announces, "Oh, we just upheld the protest. We got to resume the game. <laughs> right? Turn that, that turn that airplane around. Oh Come gosh, on back. I didn't, We're, <laughs> I didn't even think of that. That's outstanding. Yeah. <laughs> the, 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 just the oh. absurdity that could have flowed from just one stupid rule is mind-boggling." Yeah, I mean that's the instant re- that's the instant replay, and you know it's like hitting a home run, a double, and you're not sure. It, it's like this backwards in time thing. So, yeah, that will uh, hopefully they fix that rule. That's all I'm saying. They need to fix it. <laughs> uh, you know, maybe it'll be like the uh, that Saints playoff game that changed the rules of the NFL. Yeah, it might it might be changing this rule. Maybe. Doug, time for this week's listener, subscriber, social media, email question. And we love this because it allows all of you, our favorite listeners, to be a part of this podcast. I'll tell you how you can be part of it in a minute. But the idea of the question is you submit the trivia question. uh, Then Cam, who's the newly elected evil mayor of Starkville, decides, hey, that's a great question. That'll definitely stump those two dopes, Jason and Doug. And it'll provide a fun topic for us to kick around. So, Doug, here comes this week's question. Comes from a fellow named Brandon Islieb. Brandon, I hope I pronounced that right. Uh, He tweets under the handle at Baseball Spotlight. And here is his question. Doug, he asks, who was the only player to be a starting DH in four different World Series? And I feel like it has to be David Ortiz, right? But that just seems too obvious. Um, My other guess would be like David Justice, you know, played in a lot of World Series with the Braves and they had to use the DH in some of those games. And then later he played for the Yankees. I'm sure he DH for the Yankees in the World Series. So... I know that's two answers, but David Ortiz, if it's not a trick question, David Justice, if it is, what do you got? Wow. Mm. Four different World Series. Wow, that is a good one. Well, um, hmm. Well, let's see. I'm assuming American League is safer, I guess. Yeah, I have no idea. Like, how about, like, did Jose Canseco make how many? He was in the outfield, I guess, no. in Oakland way back in the no. day. It's not, I'm sure. Oh, uh, yeah, DH. Um, yeah, Ortiz is sort of the legendary DH we think of, right? He's kind of re- – how about – I mean, Edgar Martinez didn't make that many. Wow, that's – yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll go with David Ortiz. That seems like a good one. All right, let's call the evil mayor in. Cam, did we by any miracle get this right? Um, no, no, that's, that's not correct at all. No. Um, <laughs> Doug, how about you try this name on for size? Lonnie Smith. Lonnie Smith? 1980 oh, Phillies, State? 82 Cardinals, 91 through 92 Braves. So wow, never. No way would I have gotten that. He skates. never DH'd. They called them skates. Yeah. Great. Oh, he must have DH'd in the American. Yeah, against the Royals, I ne- guess. Ne- right. Never, like, never DH'd for a National League team, but DH'd in four different World Series. That's amazing. Wow. Great question. Great question. Yeah. Uh, no chance. Lonnie, I love Lonnie. Skates, he always fell down, but he was fast. Yeah, there's the, the great Paul Owens quote, the uh, the Pope, the, the legendary general manager of the Phillies, when Lonnie Smith got called up, he used to keep falling down, and Paul Owens said, yeah, he runs so fast, his feet can't keep up with the rest of them. <laughs> <laughs> That's him. That was him. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, now the idea of this question is not just for you folks out there to ask it, and then Doug and I get it wrong. It's also to give us a fun topic, and so Doug... Why don't we do this? Um, in the World Series, do you think we should just use American League rules now in all seven games? We're still doing the thing where whatever team is home, we use their rules. I, I know it's hard to argue that it hurt the Astros in this World Series since they won every game played under the National League rules. Um, but it, still, isn't it easier for the National League team to add a bat and for the American League team that gets there, uh, you know, in part because of that bat who's like a Jordan Alvarez that they then have to take out of the lineup in the most important games of the year, that just always struck me as a little funny. Yeah, it is. I, I struggle with this because I grew up such a huge National League fan. I played most of my career in the National League. And I do have a great appreciation of just the the chess factor of of always making these moves with the you know 
with the pitcher having the hit, you know. And nowadays it's more of a bullpenning question, right? Like you could bullpen and and lay out the perfect format of how you're going to use pitchers and nothing like a National League rules game to jack that whole thing up, right? <laughs> you know, I, I kind of mm-hmm. like that. You just can't lay out your plan and like, here's your guy. And so on that end, I struggle with it because I, I think that is a good thing to see, especially out of fans tune in for the World Series, clearly, and that that's an opportunity, but to um to show those different rules. Now, if they want the DH, I understand that from a marketability standpoint, but uh I don't know. I I'd I'd miss that. I think some fans would miss that aspect of it. And like you said, everybody won the road game, so it's a really weird year to kind of look at this. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> but Good point. But uh but yeah, I just um so I I'll say no, even though I understand why it is easier. It definitely is easier. Yeah, I'm torn on this one. You know, I used to argue with this. Uh, I used to argue this with my friend Steve Hurt, uh, the tremendous baseball historian, and he would point out to me that over the last 25 years, all of the most interesting World Series games have been played under National League rules. Uh, that wasn't actually true this year, <laughs> but uh, that this is really a tough one. And uh, baseball will do what it probably does best: nothing. <laughs> now, in the in the next podcast, this question could come from you. All you need to do to get your name and your question mentioned on Starkville is you submit a trivia question, and you can do that via Twitter or via email. Uh, Mayor uh, Mayor Cam will then pick one. We'll get it wrong. Then we'll do it again the next week. It's very easy to play. So if you want to email us a question, uh, that inbox is Starkville with an E at theathletic.com, or you can tweet it at us. Uh, you can find me at... Jason with a Y, J-A-Y-S-O-N-S-T. And Doug, how would they find you? You get me at Doug Glanville, D-O-U-G-G-L-A-N-V-I-L-L-E. Right. And just hashtag those questions. Hashtag Starkville with an E-Q-S. All right. That's going to do it for Starkville for some of you. But if you're an athletic subscriber, guess what? You can keep listening over at the Athletic app or the athletic website. And if you would like to keep listening and become an athletic subscriber, you can do that. You can find the link that you first clicked on to find us here. And guess what? It'll get you 40% off a one year subscription to the athletic. And of course you won't regret that. So for those of you who are leaving us, thanks for listening. We'll see you soon on Starkville. Starkville.